0: Hello and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I'm Lara Friedman. I'm the president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Today is August 2nd, 2023, and my guest today is Amal Thabete. Amal is the Michael Ratner Justice Fellow at Palestine Legal, where she, I'm reading from her amazing bio, where she challenges the censorship, surveillance, and suppression of advocates for Palestinian liberation. Um, welcome, Amal. Emma is joining me today in the wake of the stunning attacks uh, that have taken place targeting Fatima Mohammed for her May 12th commencement speech at the City University of New York School of Law's graduation ceremony, and I'm guessing that everyone who's tuning into this podcast um, has heard about those. Please note that I'm going to include in the show notes a ton of stuff. I will have links to the audio of her speech, to a transcript of her speech, which is actually posted by a right-wing website, but as far as I can tell, it is a faithful transcript. Transcript, um, because people should really listen and read for themselves um, to understand what is being called anti-Semitism as opposed to criticism of Israel. Um, I'll also include some great articles. There was an interview with Fatima recently, and she had an op-ed last week um, in The Nation, which is really superb. Um, She can't be with us today, but I would encourage people to read both of those. So we're going to talk about all that, and we're going to talk about these attacks and the broader context of the ongoing and and growing phenomenon of people being attacked publicly and efforts to punish them for speaking out in defense of Palestinian rights. So welcome Amal and let's just get right into it. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so to start off, can you for people in our audience who don't know Palestine legal, which I can't imagine who they are because we feature Palestine legal often in our in our programs. but uh, can you talk a little bit about the organization and the work you do with them?
1: Absolutely. And first, just want to say thank you so much for inviting me here today, Lara, and and for speaking about this this really important case and and, and issue that's happening. Um, for folks who aren't aware, or familiar with Palestine Legal, we were founded in 2012, and we are a legal advocacy organization dedicated to supporting the grassroots US movement for Palestinian freedom. We are the only legal organization in the United States exclusively dedicated to supporting the movement for Palestinian rights. We support the and protect the civil and constitutional rights of people in the US who speak out for Palestinian freedom, and we do that by providing legal advice, Know Your Rights trainings, advocacy, and litigation support to college students, grassroots activists, and others who support for justice in Palestine. We also document and track the tactics that are being used to silence advocates for Palestinian rights across the country, including repressive uh, legislation.
0: Sorry, just shifted away. Okay, sorry. I just shifted away for a second. Because I was trying to pull up the website. I will have a link, obviously, to the website of Palestine Legal with the show notes, so people can read about that. And I want to say that, that the Foundation for Middle East Peace is a proud funder and partner with Palestine Legal. Um, we think they are an amazing organization. Um, all right, so let's get into it. So. Again, we've all probably heard a lot and read about about Fatima and her speech. I want you to talk about it. I want you to talk about who she is, the person, which I think for a lot of people has gotten lost in in all the noise, and and talk about her speech, the context for the speech, what she said, and the context of the speech in in the context of her Palestine activism, um, where the speech came from.
1: Absolutely, so Fatima Mohammed is a first generation law student and now law graduate whose family immigrated to Brooklyn from Yemen. She's a longtime advocate for, for Palestine, longtime activists for several social justice issues and movements. She was elected by her peers to speak at her commencement. And during the May 12th ceremony, she received resounding applause for her speech in which she discussed the harms by black and brown communities uh, in the US the experiences of Palestinians living under Israeli settler colonialism and really celebrated CUNY Law's mission of lawyering in the service of oppressed communities. She, you know, in, in one of her, in many of her interviews and, and in her op-ed, you'll, you'll read that she felt like it was her duty to, to, to use this opportunity of being in the spotlight to think about these issues and movements, things that you know, everybody should should really care about. Um, Since her speech, however, she's been targeted by anti palestinian groups in a really racist Islamophobic harassment campaign over comments that she made advocating for the liberation of Palestine and justice for all. This targeted racist campaign against Fatma has been exasperated by public officials, including members of Congress, state lawmakers, and right-wing media outlets. The CUNY Board of Trustees is also complicit in fueling the harassment campaign. Shortly after uh, the commencement address on May 30th, the board and CUNY Chancellor published a statement condemning Fatima's speech as hate speech, claiming that it was, quote, a public expression of hate towards people and communities based on their religion, race, or political affiliation. This is clearly a very false and harmful characterization that has been weaponized against Fatima over and over again, a Muslim and Arab American woman. This false accusation also contradicts CUNY's First Amendment obligations and clearly doesn't apply to Fatima's principled words, you know, which were clear criticisms of a state's actions and not a group of people for their identity. And so instead of taking steps to address the harassment that Fatima a student of CUNY was facing, CUNY joined in on the anti-Palestinian bullying campaign. And like many other campaigns waged against advocates for Palestinian rights, the intent of the campaign is to weaponize false accusations against Fatma in order to punish her and in order to make an example for for those who dare to criticize Israel and then weaken the growing Palestine solidarity movement. And so CUNY's statement effectively reinforces this smear campaign that's be, that's been led by public officials and pro-Israel groups, resulting in a really severe you know, online harassment and, and new attacks. Um, in addition to cyberbullying and you know, messages of, 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 of threats, she's received, she's had people like showing up at her door, journalists really invading her space and her privacy, um, and people just sending really, really disturbing messages online. Um, and so, you know, this, this statement by CUNY and, and this, this broader harassment campaign is part of a broader pattern of censoring criticism of Israel's policies and discriminating against Palestinian students, speakers, and alumni across CUNY campuses. Over the past decade, anti-Palestinian groups and politicians have disingenuously accused students, professors, and speakers of anti-Semitism, for speech in support of Palestinian rights and effectively prompting investigations that have ultimately cleared Palestinian advocates of any wrongdoing. And so these attacks against Fatima are part of this widespread harassment campaign to shut down criticism of Israel by attacking Palestinians and their supporters. Since 2014, Palestine Legal has responded to over 2,200 incidents of suppression So these attacks against Fatma really falls within this larger and widely criticized effort to to silence students and scholars and and advocates across the country.
0: Thanks, that's great. I I wanna dig into a whole bunch of things that you said. And and I think I wanna just take a step back to something you said sort of middle in that, which is this is part of a broader assault, right? And I want you to to talk a little bit more and situate the uproar around her speech. Um, with this broader assault. Utah, I think you used the word chilling effect. I certainly use the word chilling effect. Um, and this effort to impose and maintain a Palestine exception to free speech, particularly on campuses, but not just on campuses. Can you, can you talk about that? And, and and you know, maybe I don't want to say something you know hopeful, but what it says about how threatened <laughs> how threatened defenders of Israel feel by um, legitimate fact-based criticism of this of a sovereign state for its actions um, and, and in terms of trying to just shut it down completely.
1: Absolutely. So like I mentioned, you know this this attack and harassment campaign against Fatima is certainly not new or unique to Fatima, right? We are, we are seeing the same tactics regularly being waged against Palestine advocates. And, you know, like I mentioned over the past decade, we've been tracking and responding to all these different incidences and then are noticing these patterns of censorship and, and of repression. And these attacks against Fatima really fall under this also wider, larger and wider effort to silence students who speak out about Palestinian rights by specifically equating criticism of Israel with anti-Jewish hate and turning the political ideology of Zionism into a protected class, including by pushing a definition of anti-Semitism that, that completes criticism of Israel and Zionism with, with anti-Jewish hate. And so these accusations regularly and especially target Palestinian, Arab, and Muslim advocates um, and advocate, and academics and students who are frequently and falsely smeared uh, as anti-Semitic, solely for their speech speech of, uh, in support of Palestinian rights. And you know, these accusations are often imbued with anti-Muslim and anti-Arab stereotypes that Palestinians are violent or undeserving of freedom or, or equality. And these this these smearing and harassment and intimidation, and and like exactly like you said, have have real, not just chilling um, impacts, but have serious consequences on Palestinian rights advocates. These harmful attacks really damage the reputations. And careers of students and of scholars and of workers, and they encourage censorship of advocates, thereby infringing on their First Amendment rights and subjecting Palestinians and their allies to discrimination. And we're seeing these, we're seeing these um, consequences play out in real time with Fatima's case. After the CUNY statement condemning her speech, a New York City uh, council member. And right-wing anti-Palestinian organization have been calling on the character and fitness committees of the New York courts to find Fatma unfit to practice law and deny her admission to the bar. So we're seeing all the different ways in which these accusations of anti-Semitism not only really harm uh, advocates' reputations, but go further to have severe consequences on their careers, on you know their their. Um, their educations and and other opportunities in life. So, um, all of that to say that you know what Fatima's experience is definitely not new or unique to her, and uh, these harassment tactics and campaigns are part of a wider uh, campaign to shut down criticism of Israel.
0: Yeah, no, I really I appreciate everything you just said. I I wanted just to add as background. Um, both the Foundation for Millions Peace and Palestine Legal have for years now been raising alarms about efforts to promote the adoption and enforcement of the definition of anti-Semitism that you referred to, which is known as the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance working definition of anti-Semitism, which is more generally known as the IRA definition or just IRA. And as we've discussed in many, many webinars and podcasts, including with colleagues of yours from Palestine Legal, this definition in its um, illustrative examples explicitly conflates criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism. And, and, you know, for years, as I've been talking about this, and I'm sure your colleagues, when we talk about our concerns about it being weaponized, people get very angry and push back. It's like, you know, as if it's like theoretical, well, how has it ever been used to harm anybody? And and what we have here is, you know, there are many examples. There's a, a long paper that was written by a group in Canada documenting this. The European Legal Support um, Organization has, has produced something looking at how IRA is being weaponized. But looking at FATMA's case, I mean, you can see it, right? You know, to say that someone should not be allowed to, to to join the bar in New York because they have violated because they they have committed acts of anti semitism based on this definition is exactly what we mean by weaponization, um, and it's it's just it's incredibly dangerous. I also note that you know since since all of this happened with Fatma, we saw the kerfuffle on on Capitol Hill. Um, when a member of Congress who not coincidentally, probably in terms of being so widely attacked is a woman, is brown, is an immigrant, and she used the word racist to describe Israel, and and was accused of many things, including anti-Semitism. And Ira was again, cited as you can't say this, there are things you can't say about the state of Israel. Um, I'd be interested in in your thoughts. I mean, well, first of all, before we go any deeper, I wanna talk about Palestine Legal again because Palestine Legal led a coalition um, letter defending Fatima. I wonder if you'd talk about that and also talk a little bit if you want about the groups that have come out defending her because there's been a lot of defense of her including from Jewish students, which is remarkably getting much less press uh, than, than the attacks on her.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Like you mentioned, we led a coalition letter signed and supported by 13 different civil rights groups that calls on CUNY to retract the statement condemning Fatima's speech, to issue a public apology, and to recognize that opposition to the political ideology of Zionism is a stance for equality and freedom. And additionally, it calls on CUNY to hold trainings on anti-Palestinian racism, among other demands. Uh, Our our coalition letter also calls CUNY's condemnation as hate speech of of Fatma's substantive criticisms, as an affront to Fatma, as well as all of those who are engaged in challenging these injustices, including her educators, her peers, and loved ones who all applauded her remarks. And the letter continues to say that there's nothing in Fatma's remarks that could be construed as an expression of hate towards any protected class. and it also, the coalition in letter also explains how CUNY's failure to protect and support Fatma is part of this broader pattern of censoring criticism of Israel and, and discriminating against Palestinian students. And we're seeing this happening over and over again on CUNY campuses. And there's definitely been an outpour of support for Fatma and an outrage uh, of CUNY's um, condemnation and, and their, their false characterization of her speech. Um, There's been an outrage at CUNY and elected officials for their shameful targeting of her, just because of her political views on Palestine and other progressive issues. And we're seeing that, you know, the response that Fatima is receiving and the support is just demonstrating that that the tide is turning more and more, that we're seeing an increased awareness of and opposition to Israel's treatment of Palestinians. And even in the face of all of these repressive measures, we're seeing students for, students for Justice in Palestine chapters growing, BDS wins accumulating, and they're filtering up from the grassroots to decision makers. And I think this case is in the support that Fatima has been receiving on so many different ends. So not just from civil rights groups, but from her peers and from or other organizing student groups on her campus who have written letters of support for her. Her professors have written letters of support for her have shown that there's a growing solidarity movement in the U.S. And it's it's student-led, it's diverse, it's dynamic. And ultimately, neither Israel nor its allies in the U.S. can shut down a movement for justice and freedom, whatever repressive tactics they use. And it's really up to all of us, you know, students and and organizers and advocates and scholars to make sure that these efforts are exposed for what they are, repressive tactics, and that we continue to, to grow our movements despite them.
0: Yeah. Those are very powerful words. I I agree. I I actually, I mean, I don't want to sound, you know, Pollyannish. I mean, look, the, the, the stunning response to Fatima from, I mean, having members of Congress singling out someone for a speech at law graduation, having, you know, the, the, the officials in New York do so. I mean, it's again, there's there's a whole political context for this and it isn't unprecedented. We've seen people, you know, pay a very high price for criticizing Israel before, but this this has really stuck out as extraordinary. Um, I will say it also came around the same time as the Biden state, the Biden policy on anti-Semitism, which you know, was I think not a win for the forces of the IRA definition who had hoped to see a a full-blown embrace by the Biden administration of the IRA definition. instead, you actually got a Biden articulated definition of anti-Semitism, which isn't about Israel at all. It's about hatred of Jews because they're Jews. Hatred, violence, threats is exactly what most of us would say is anti-Semitism if you're not um, instrumentalizing it to protect the state of Israel. Um, it did include reference to the IRA definition. But as I continually point out, that reference was in the past tense um, and in the passive tense to what has has been done before, um, which doesn't mean that we you know, are somehow now um, inoculated against these attacks. Um, clearly, the organizations that are taking the lead in fighting anti-Semitism, allegedly, in cooperation with the Biden administration, I note here the Anti-Defamation League and the American Jewish Committee in particular, um, put Ira at the center of their work, um, and the Special Envoy of the State Department for fighting anti-Semitism does the same. So it's it's not it's not a it's it's still a, a major issue, um, and it's gonna it's been coming up over and over, um, but on the the positive piece of this, I think, and I'm curious, you know, you sort of referenced it, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. When I see the the almost hysterical backlash against Fatima for her words, it seems to suggest tremendous fear of what is the growing um, significance, impact, and an increasing mainstream embrace of Palestine solidarity activism on college campuses. This isn't just Palestinian students. It's not just Muslim students. This is a whole range of students coming from all different backgrounds who see this in terms of rights and justice and who who simply do not, you know, one, one colleague of mine said, this is a generation that cares about people and planet. They aren't interested in making, you know, exceptions for the things that are inconvenient politically for them and their beliefs. Um, so, I mean, is that a point? You, you mentioned that, but I, I sort of would actually, we so rarely talk about anything positive. I'd love for you to go into a little more on what is happening at the grassroots level, particularly with students, um, which is making people so afraid.
1: For sure. And I, I do wanna pause for a moment and talk about Ira and the role that Ira is planning here, um, playing here, and the role that Israel lobby groups and Israel aligned lawmakers are, are, the way they're trying to set a precedent with, with Fatma's speech, um, almost you know, less than a month after her speech on June 6th, Representative Gottheimer wrote a letter to the Department of Education, demanding the defunding of CUNY School of Law on the premise that Fatima's speech constituted a violation of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And in his letter, Gottheimer references one of the distorted IRA IRA definitions, illustrative examples. Um, And this attempt to, to apply this example to Fatima's speech, calling out Israel's crimes is a perfect illustration of how IRA is being used to censor and how IRA is being used to punish advocacy for Palestinian rights, not to protect Jewish people.
0: And, and, and let's just be clear for people who don't know, I mean, the, the, the examples that are most often instrumentalized this way. It is basically suggested that if you say that Israel is racist or its policies are racist, then you are unfairly denying the Jewish people the right to self-determination, notwithstanding the fact that the Israeli perspective literally denies Palestinians the right to self-determination and that that suggests that you can't criticize Israel at all in effect. And, and secondly, the idea that you can't criticize Israel unless you're criticizing every other country that's guilty of bad behavior equally. I call this the... the you know all lives mattering of of criticism of Israel. um it it is you know absolutely fine if you want to only defend Israel. But if you are someone who is focused on Palestinian rights and defending Palestinian rights, that is considered ipso facto anti-Semitism if you're not defending the rights of every other people that is facing similar things. it's It's quite an extraordinary um logical um, uh, formula they've come up with.
1: Absolutely. And thanks for providing that additional context. Um, I think it's it's incredibly helpful for for folks and just like placing how uh, the role of IRA, how what kind of role it plays in these in these different cases. Um, I think also this example specifically is illustrating how IRA's weaponization is is contributing to a really dangerous erosion of First Amendment rights to dissent on issues of critical public concern and is an escalation of anti-Palestinian bias and discrimination. It also speaks to a larger effort that's being led by pro-Israel groups lobbying the Department of Education's uh, Office for Civil Rights to adopt the IRA definition so that they use it as a guide when investigating Title VI complaints, um, a complaint that's, that's frequently used as, uh, and weaponized against Palestine advocates. Um, and then secondly, we also saw Republican uh, representative Mike Lawler introduce a federal bill to block US funding to schools that allow events where students criticize Israel. Again, this is speaking to the larger tactic that has resulted in hundreds of bills introduced in state legislators and the US Congress targeting Palestinian advocacy. Lawler's bill is an attempt to stem the tide of growing human rights activism for Palestinian rights in the US, particularly on college campuses where students and academics have embraced boycotts and divestment initiatives as a way to peacefully pressure Israel to respect Palestinian rights. And as egregious egregious these tactics are, exactly like you said, we're seeing them come more and more severe and escalate because there's a growing fear. We're seeing that Zionist groups and organizations are, are are sort of coming to terms with the fact that like they're not winning the arguments on the merits. They are, their tactics are failing and movements are growing and ally allyships are growing. And in my opinion, I'm seeing that's why the tactics have escalated so much and are becoming more and more severe because as, as support for Palestine grows, the opposition, targets the advocacy more severely, because they're realizing that they are sort of losing control of public opinion. And for the first time in a very long time, there's growing support at a faster rate for Palestine than there is for Israel.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And there's some recent Pew polling that came out looking at support for Palestinians in Israel, which I think is causing quite a bit of heartburn. Uh, amongst those who who don't want to see grassroots support for Palestinian rights. Um, OK, so I want to ask you one more question. I want to sort of zoom back in on Palestine legal. And I don't know if there's specific cases you can talk about. I know there's a case in Florida right now. There's a case in Vermont. I think there was one at GW. I would love for you to talk a little bit more about Palestine legal's work defending the rights of people, whether it's Fatima or students or anybody else. I, I think it's just it's, it's a fascinating um, sort of window into what activists are facing that many people who are knowledgeable of what's happening on the grounds in Israel, Palestine, um, may be unaware of in terms of what's happening every day here in the US.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just to provide, you know, some, some broader context in, you know, just on the landscape of of Palestine um, repression and, and censorship. Last year, for example, Palestine solidarity activism was characterized by bold campaigns, particularly by students and faculty, to draw attention to the Palestinian liberation struggle and to invite concrete acts of solidarity from a growing community of allies. But, like, you know, routinely, this emboldened advocacy was met with vicious silencing efforts by Israel aligned groups, which went into overdrive to to undermine activists. We're seeing Palestine advocates persevering through and often overcoming um, repression on campus in the form of increasingly aggressive disciplinary proceedings, censorship, condemnation from administrators, the list is is long, as well as in the workplace and on social media by mobilizing grassroots support to defeat censorship and and attempts of uh, exposing the repression for what it is, which, which is an effort to shield Israel from accountability. And so just last year, we responded to 214 incidents of suppression of US-based Palestine advocacy. 70% of these incidents targeted students and scholars at 80 different colleges, universities, schools, and school districts, districts across the country. So we are connecting with and advising and providing legal, legal support to many uh, activists across the country, particularly students and um, scholars and academics on college campuses. You mentioned uh, Ahmed Raldeek's case. Um, he uh, is a student at FSU, who actually his Title VI complaint was just recently opened after the Office for Civil Rights, um, you know, hadn't responded or you know opened the investigation um, for over two years, and so we're still waiting to 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 see how the office will land with with that complaint. And for folks um, who
0: are interested, we actually did a, a webinar with him a couple of years ago. He was. Quite brilliant. You can find that on our webinar page. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Um, and so, just to say, you know, there, there, there's a various different ways in which we're supporting students. Sometimes it's helping them launch Title VI complaints, like in Ahmed's case, or it's helping them navigate these harassment and cyberbullying campaigns that that they're being subjected to because of their their principled First Amendment protected speech, or it's you know, help, uh, na- helping them navigate these disciplinary proceedings because um, they're being falsely accused um, or, you know, they're, they're having complaints launched against them within their institutions or, or universities. Um, so there's, there's various different ways in which policy legal gets involved and, and supports um, advocates and movements. Um, I'd say like if, if folks are interested in, in staying up to date with our work to join our mailing list, Or to follow us on social media where we regularly post updates on our cases. Um, But yeah, Fatima's case is just, you know, another case in which a Palestine advocate wanted to express solidarity for Palestine at her commencement. And sometimes it's in, you know, sometimes it's um, by wearing a Palestine stole or flag. Sometimes it's about advocating for Palestine in their commencement speech, but students are regularly being censored at their commencements, at their universities, and this is just another case in which, um, you know, we have been able to, to support Fatima and to support uh, advocates for for Palestinian freedom.
0: Thank you, thank you so much. I think we're going to end it there. I'm going to make another plea for people to actually watch and read Fatima's speech. And as you watch it and read it and and hear the things that caused so much anger from defenders of Israel contrast that anger with what's actually happening that you see in the news, whether it's the, act, you know, the the pogrom in Hawara or it's the cement being poured in the well that was last week's news. I mean, look at that news and compare it to what she's saying. And then I think it's really easy to understand what's really going on here um, because the news is actually far worse than anything she said. It's a question of whether or not you're allowed to say it. <laughs> Um, So we'll leave it here. Thank you so much, Amos, for sharing your expertise and your experience with us today. I think this is the first time we've had you on a podcast. I do not think it will be the last. Um, Thank you to our listeners and viewers for tuning into this episode of Occupied Thoughts. I wanna remind people, you should check out the website, fmep.org, for resources related to this podcast and lots of other content on Palestine and Israel. And you should subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of our great content. I think we're releasing like four podcasts this week. I apologize to our subscribers. There's just so much going on. Um, You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify, and you can watch the video versions on YouTube. So with that, I'm going to sign off. I'm Laura Friedman. Thanking you so much, Amal, for joining us. And uh, signing off until the next episode of Occupied Thoughts.
1: Thanks so much for having me.